0: Hello and welcome to the Dorm Room Dispute Podcast. I am Mitchell Kaminsky. Congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks for winning the NBA championship. And here's my takeaway from these final, A couple big takeaways. But, like, number one, so happy for the Bucks. Because Giannis said it best. This is what I'll start with here. Uh, He said it afterwards. I could go to a super team and just do my part and win a championship. But this is the hard way to do it, and this is the way to do it, and we did it. You're damn right you did it, Giannis. He's right. Giannis Antetokounmpo, and this is what I said last podcast, too. If they won the finals here with this team and this market. Uh, then you have to put him in the conversation for greatest player in the world. And he's finally getting his just two. I think he, people have been overshadowing him as an underrated player just because they haven't been able to get it done in the playoffs. And not all of that is his fault. But he's worked his butt off to improve his game. His one weakness everyone said was free throws. That final game, he he made 17 free throws. He only missed two. It was phenomenal from the free throw line. Knocked down a three-pointer. He he was hitting turnaround jumpers. He was attacking the paint. He was being aggressive. He didn't settle for jump shots. He knows his game. He didn't settle for jump shots. He took it when he had to, and he knocked them down for the whole game. Attack the tin, go to the basket. That's what you like to see. Aggressive mentality, plays as hard as anyone on the offensive end and the defensive end. That is what the that is what the best player in the world looks like, right there. There's no taking possessions off, which I saw a lot of times from LeBron James in these playoffs. He wasn't a one-dimensional player like Kevin Durant, excellent player, best offensive player in the world, but. Uh, you know he's not the same defensive player that he, he used to be. Giannis on the defensive end that he that made a huge impact in the series. He had the block in game three, or excuse me, game four. Huge block in game four. Five blocks in game six. Chasing down everything with that length, disrupting things. So I'm glad the national media is finally caught up to what I was saying last week because yeah, you definitely got to put him in the category for best, best best player in the world. Uh, I think, and he's only going to get better. I think you listen to him; he he still sounds motivated. He plays as hard as anyone. I think the only one that plays as hard as him is Russell Westbrook, and he is leaps and bounds ahead of Russell Westbrook as far as talent goes. What he can do, but when they lost all these times, and he was getting ripped in Milwaukee, he could have easily left and joined some pylon team, and you win your two or three championships, and that's nice. But would it really mean anything? Do we think more of Kevin Durant because he left for the Warriors and got his two championships? No, I don't think it should make that big of a difference. I think we would think more of him if he won it in a market like Oklahoma City. And I think Giannis is like, well, regardless if he wins another one or not, the fact that they overcame what they did, they beat the Nets and that super team, they get to the finals and they, they won it. It says a lot. And so that's why for both of these teams, it was very hard for me to pick who to root for because a lot of them, they do similar things. You know, they build from the ground up. They built from the draft. It's a lot of homegrown talent. And I mind you, the Suns added a couple free agents, but so did the Bucks. They added your Drew Holiday. That's how you do it. That's how a winning team should do it. That's how it should be done. You add a couple pieces, finishing touches. Not, oh, these guys all go on vacation. Let's go pile on and make some super team to win. Like, it's eh, not as fun. Like, they gave me some hope. For the NBA. But it was also kind of sad, too, because I knew the loser of this, and this is why it was very hard for me to pick who to win. I, I think the loser of this uh, series, like, th- this is it. Like, the Phoenix Suns, don't be fooled by this run, because I don't think you're coming back next year. Like, I don't think the Lakers are going to flop like they did this year, you especially if you get a healthy AD, and they're going to revamp that roster. Um, I think the Clippers with a healthy Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> They're very lucky to make it past them. I think Dallas is close. They're going to be gearing up. Uh, they, this is your window. And if I were them as much as I'd like Chris Paul, if you're the last couple weeks, I've defended him. I think he played good in game six. Uh, but he's getting older. Do not, do not overpay for him and give him a three-year contract because, you know, he did what he did. Like, yeah, you're going you're gonna to already sign him. He's a good player. But... Uh, you want to be, make sure, there's a lot of teams that you got to think about this. You want to be paying for future performance and not past performance. Los Angeles Angels, Anaheim Angels, I beg your pardon, they, they made this mistake with Albert Pujols. They paid him a ton of money, nine year contract, for the player that he was or used to be. For the player he was, the player who's going to be down the road, the player he used to be. In the back end of that contract in those nine years, it bit him in the butt. They're like, oh, my God, we cannot get rid of him fast enough. They didn't even let him finish out his last year. They shipped him off to the Dodgers. So you're you're the Suns here. Don't be fooled by this run because you're like, oh, well, we can just run it back. We're going to be right back when we – no, you can't. Be very smart with how you're spending your money here. Do not overpay for Chris Paul because you're going to need some help. The same thing happened with Miami Heat, I think, in the bubble, those very circumstances. They had a lucky run. They got a lot of breaks. They made it to the NBA Finals, and now look at them this year, floundering because they wouldn't trade Tower Hero and upgrade. So you're the Suns; you need to you, you're going to need to add some pieces. You're going to need to add some pieces, and I'm afraid if you overpay for Chris Paul, you give him like that three years or whatever, more than he should, more than he should get. It's going to hamper your ability to add some other pieces because you need they, they need they need other. So I don't think they're finding that magic again next year. And it's going to be very difficult for them to get back. The road's going to be a lot tougher. And people are not going to be surprised by them not anymore. You know, they're not going to take them lightly. They're not surprising anyone. They know this team's good. So that's why it's kind of sad because I don't think I think that window's closed. Uh, the, the Bucks, too, you know, the Nets are going to be a little bit better. So it's going to be very tough. And I think they kind of had everything go their way, too. But here's what I do also like about the Bucks. Not only did that build the super team, you know how they win it. And this is why I like the grit and grind mentality early in the playoffs. But they play real defense. All of those guys. If you go through that lineup, play legit defense. Giannis, obviously, Defensive Player of the Year. We talked about what he did. Drew Holiday. Let me give him some props for the defense he played. That man played real defense. We'll get to him in a second. Chris Middleton. People don't realize this. As much as he's a clutch bucket scorer at the end, he's long, and he plays harder than the defensive end, too. He is an above-average defender. Plus, defender. And then P.J. Tucker, that's how, basically, he makes a living. This is being a pass defending everyone. That's like four guys right there that can all defend Brook Brooke Lopez in the center. Uh, you know, sufficient. Hey, those guys play defense. They play hard. They're a small market. They're not a super team. So what's not to like? That's why I'm so happy for the Bucks. Uh You can't go on with that. Now, another takeaway I had from this series, and there's a lot of guys that were getting ripped. And Drew Holiday got a lot of attention. Uh, deservedly so. He, he he was building the house of brick. A couple of these games the shooting looked terrible and all but you know game five it was pretty good but uh game six was not pretty uh game four was not pretty but what drew holiday did and here's where why you have to be careful ripping him because basketball they have two sides of the floor everyone's focusing on the offensive end and how you know, you know how much you do with the, you know, how many points you have in the box score he did a lot of little things that were not on the box score that really impacted the series, and I would argue he was the second most valuable player on the floor for the Bucks Because when they put him on Devin Booker, when they made the switch, and Budenhold doesn't make many switches, when he put him on Devin Booker, that whole series changed. I think he did a heck of a job on him. I think he did a good job when he was guarding Chris Paul, too, harassing him. He he was a disruptor out there. He had a couple big steals late in the game. They stripped Chris Paul late in that game for to scale it. He did a nice assist at the back end there, too. He came up with some big, big plays in the defensive end. He really made Chris Paul frustrated out there, and that's hard to do with a veteran point guard like that. The point guard was reduced to a mere mortal by Drew Holiday. See, I've given him some props here. He deserves it. Yeah, Obviously, Giannis, you know what he did? He's going to get the majority of the credit as well. He should, but. It's, Drew Holiday, let's they take it easy on him for the lack of shooting. I know Marshall was very hard on Drew Holliday. He's like, oh, this man's terrible. He's playing like ass. Like, yeah, he wasn't shooting great. The shot left a lot to be desired. But that's why the sport, basketball, is great because there's two sides and you play both sides. And he did a hell of a job in the defensive end. So I'll give him some props. Bootenholzer. Mike Bootenholzer, Here's another one. And this guy he has gotten a flack, too. Uh, and you know what? Uh, i given him some flack too. Uh, he doesn't make adjustments. Didn't look like a very good coach. He was on the hot seat too. If they lost to the Nets in that game seven, he was probably getting fired. He was on the hot seat. But this is results based business. He never once panicked. He's defense. So he got us here. I know what we do well. I'm going to stick to it. I'm not making any changes. Some could question it. But it worked never overreacted it's like hey i know what we do well we're gonna continue to do it eventually it's gonna work maybe it's dumb luck maybe it's good coaching i don't know but they won the Emmy finals it's a results-based business so i will give him his props and i will lighten up on him too um uh, you know because he's he's gotten a lot of <laughs> he got a lot of comments too and, you know, Monty Williams gets a lot of credit, but I didn't think he made all those. I didn't think he made that many great adjustments late in the, that series either. I thought Bootenholzer out coached him in the back half of that series. The one big move Boltonholzer made was moving Drew Holiday to guard uh, Chris Paul in the one game and then Booker. Did that change the whole series? That changed the whole series. And they didn't know how to respond to that. So you know what, Bootenholzer, I will give him his I will give him some credit too, because he is now an NBA champion head coach. And that's something you can't take away from either. So congratulations to those two. Congratulations to Milwaukee. Congratulations to Chick-fil-A too. Giannis made that post about Chick-fil-A. He's going to Chick-fil-A to get the fifty nine chicken nuggets. And you know what? It kinda of made me hungry for Chick-fil-A. It was a great advertisement. And then all these crazy Milwaukee fans were storming it. I'm going to go there. The Deer District, man. Kinda of cool. Although I don't know, let's let's be honest here. And I, I'd be interested to hear uh, what people had to say. I, I, we had a friend in our fraternity that was up in the Deer District. And just watching it on TV, because I was watching it, th- the game six at a bar, like looking at it. And it's was like, yeah, it's cool. It's like 65,000 people outside the stadium. But you're a couple rows back there. You're watching it on a screen behind a bunch of people. You get to one tall guy in front of you, you're screwed. You can't really move anywhere. You go to the bathroom, especially if you're stuck in the middle of that mass of humanity. And you are standing the entire time. None of those games take a while. The last minute, we timed the last minute. We had a bet. I had a bet going with someone. The last minute of Game Six uh, took nine minutes. He's just standing there. Then you add that with all the commercial breaks on top of that. You're, you're standing there a good three, three, three and a half hours. Is it really that much fun? I don't know. Someone tell me, because that doesn't sound, that, that does not sound all that enjoyable to me. But uh, you know what? Maybe I'm just a downer. But I think from the couch would be a little bit. Uh, a little bit more fun, <laughs> but yeah. Hey, there you go. Bucks, though. As much as I said that the, the window's over for the um, the, the Suns, I do think this Bucks team, you run that back as currently constructed, and they can do some damage, do I? Because th- uh, the, obviously the bronze out of the East now, uh, so that helps a lot. So their window's slightly more bigger, but I think for the Suns, it's slam shut. I don't think they're getting back. I don't think they're getting back. I think that was their opportunity, and they blew it. They shrunk in big moments, too. they That was a young team that you could tell was young and hadn't been there before, because DeAndre Aiden looked lost in Game 6. They looked really tight near the end of Game 5. and they You know, uncharacteristic turnovers from Chris Paul, who were even him, it was the first time he'd been in the Finals. Um, so I, I think they saw him playing poorly, and then the rest of them kind of panicked, and they just looked tight. They looked tight inexperienced team. You can even see this too that with the in the series beforehand. There was a warning signs of this against the Clippers. They had a closeout game against the Clippers Game 5 at home. Same thing. They looked very uncomfortable. They were tight. They looked like they were forcing things and the Clippers won that game and I think that's what we saw back half here especially once they couldn't pull away and win that one game against the Bucs uh, when they were up by 9 in Game 4. Couldn't close it out in the fourth quarter. It was like, uh uh-oh. So now the series is tied, and that gets back home. like Big game five, tight. But, uh, yeah, that's too bad. Both the teams were fun. I like my boy Frank Kaminsky out there. He got a couple buckets in that deciding game six. Couldn't come away with it, though. No one deserved that trophy more than that, man. Wisconsin product <laughs> you know I forgot to mention this last week but I'll we'll talk about it this week uh since it came up obviously the Conor McGregor fight happened a couple weeks ago um and the big talk is now that uh you know Jake Paul who's he's another both these guys these are two what's the, what's what's a good word for them they're both assholes we'll put it we'll play it plain simple I'm not a Jake Paul fan um I'm not a big Conor McGregor fan either But Jake Paul did make a point where he was like, because I think if the two of them fought, we would all watch it. I would definitely watch it. Everyone would want to tune in to see that fight. Is Jake Paul a real boxer? Can Conor McGregor? Because it would be either people being like, hey, I don't like Conor McGregor. We're going to see him lose, potentially get an upset here to Jake Paul. Or Jake Paul's finally going to get shut up by one of the best MMA fighters in the world, Conor McGregor. But, um, he, and that would be a huge pay per view fight. They would put up numbers. I think that would be the biggest pay per view you'd ever, like, honestly, I think that would break a lot of records in the box office. That would be a huge fight. Because it's not only the fight fans that would watch it. It's all of his YouTuber fans, too, that would watch it. The non-sports fans that just pile on. So that you'd get a massive following for that. But Jake Paul, who is a master promoter. He is a master marketer. So I will give him credit where credit is due there. Uh, he's like, yeah, no, I'm not fighting him. He's a loser. Now. He's a loser. I don't fight losers. Unless you fought Ben Askren, so you, you, you kind of do. But that's not here, nor there. But I actually think he was making some good points. Like, Conor McGregor at this point in his career, it's kind of sad. It is getting sad. He is a loser right now. And everyone's making the excuse, like, oh, he had the fractured ankle heading into it. It's like, well, if you knew that heading into the fight, then why did you take the fight? And I'll give him props. Like, oh, I wanted to, I didn't want to break the contract whatever. I'm going to like, try and tough it out. This is great. But before the fight, don't be, like, talking trash. Oh, you're going to come out in a body bag. Oh, yeah. I'm going to kill you in the ring. And then you're talking all this crap about Poirier's wife and his family. And then you're going to make an excuse like, oh, well, you know, it was actually broken beforehand and we decided to go in with it anyway. Like, no, 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 no. You were talking all this crap, and if you knew that was going on, then, you know, maybe, just maybe, you shouldn't have been saying anything if you you were coming into the fight with a fractured ankle. So I have no sympathy for him there. I think he's become a clown at this point. I think even if it wasn't broken, I think he still would have gotten his ass kicked that fight. I think he's a sad, pathetic human being, and the fact that he's attacking Poirier, his wife, and he's talking about going to the DM, like, it's, it's, it's pathetic right now. His axe is worn thin. It's a, like At first, it was cool, you know, he's trash talking, flamboyant, fire. He's a good showman. He's a good showman, and now it's just getting pathetic. Especially because he can't back it up in the ring. He's not He's not the fighter he used to be. He's just sad. It's sad. And Pori was not, he, he could have fought for a belt, and he went to go in there and kick his ass. So, that's where I'm at with kind of I'm kind of over it. I am over it. I used to like him. It's it's kind of getting to the point. I, I think Khabib, the whole Khabib fight, that's where it started like go downhill, because that was not just like fighting, like you know, trash talk before a fight. Like that got personal. And there was some like there was some stuff that crossed the line there, where I was like, okay, you kind of have what's coming to you. So for this one too, it's the same thing. <laughs> I I actually agree. That was one of the few times I will agree with with Jake Paul. Well, yeah, he, he's turned into a loser right now. He don't want to fight him. I can understand that, but I think for both of them, it'd be pretty lucrative, and we'd all tune in. And I hope. And listen, and I, I, I want Connor to come back. I think he's good for the sport, but it just, I, what he's become from what 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 he's turned into is just kind of it's, you know, it's a bad look. It's a little depressed, wee bit depressing. Uh, also, congratulations. This is also late. It's it, Italy. Winning. I didn't even want to talk too much soccer last week because I don't know that much about it. But I'm going to acknowledge it, it happened because I did watch some of it. Uh, and I was rooting for Italy in that final simply because we were in Minnesota at the time. We were watching the England-Denmark uh, uh, semifinal. And we went to this English pub called Brits. It was on the rooftop. They had. I didn't even know there was this many British people in Minnesota. But it looked like everyone in the state had piled in here. It was packed. The bar was packed. The rooftop was packed. British people as far as the eye could see. It was uh um, yeah, it was a <laughs> <laughs> felt out of place. I was one of the minorities in there, but uh anyway, well, I guess you don't really call it Eh, American compared sit might No, never mind, it, neither here nor there, but I was yeah, it was surrounded by British people, they had that annoying song after they beat him, and it was a very thrilling game uh. Kane, I believe, had the, the winning goal uh, in extra time there before it could go to penalties, but they have that stupid song, oh, it's coming home, it's coming, so because of that, it's coming home crap uh, I was like, I'm not rooting for them simply because this song is really annoying, and they were all playing it after they won, and it was uh, didn't like the song, so I was rooting for Italy and damn it, Italy won and that was great. I think it was almost bad that England scored that goal so early because I think they were kind of back on their heels playing defensive the rest of the game. And then once they gave up that goal late, it was like, uh-oh, we got to switch it back into offensive mode. They couldn't gear it up. Italy had all the momentum, and it was over. Uh, and you know what? Screw those fans, too, because I remember during one of our classes we had to do back in Bradley, It was uh, we had to give presentations and certain things. And the one guy uh, in our class, he was giving a pre- presentation, on like the Premier League and like what their problem they have with a lot of the players over there all the racist DMs and stuff they have to deal with because like <laughs> racism is a really big problem over there in England people don't really talk about it it's like ugly for a lot of these players and as soon as those guys missed those penalty kicks like late in that game it was like oh no this is not gonna be a fun couple of nights for them but sure enough why do you know these horrible, disgusting messages? You get a ton of them. Uh-uh, they're getting DM'd about it, and it was like Jesus Christ. So screw you, England, and your racist ass fans. Uh, you got what was coming to you too. You're just like kind of regret. You got what was coming to you. And you know what? If you're gonna, you're gonna be doing that. You know, I know most of these fat fish and chip eating uh, jerks. If they were up at that line, they're not kicking. They're not scoring there either. So you know, they they can shove some more or whatever they eat crumpets. Trumpets and tea, where the sun don't sign, shine. Ugh, where the sun don't shine. Uh, but yeah, congratulations to Italy. Way to go! It's coming to Rome. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a little two weeks, two weeks late on uh, that one as well. Uh, but we had a, you know, we had a lot going on in the sports world this week. The Seattle Kraken. They had their expansion draft. New look. The jerseys, by the way, look sick. I love the jerseys. I love the logo. I think it's a cool team. Uh, but the expansion draft they had there with them, yeesh. I think they left a lot to be desired on that table. I like Chris Dunn, the defenseman they got. Um, I like Geeky because he used to play for the Chicago Wolves. Um, they have a guy, uh, Jordan Eberle, is his, he's a decent player, but outside of that, man, I think they, I feel like they went for a lot of youth, um, and I think cheap guys so they could sign some free agents is the only thing I'm thinking of because I think that team's going to be terrible. Terrible that first year, which most expansion teams are. But you saw with the expansion draft, you kind of get some opportunity, and there are some good names on that. Uh, going through the list, there are some good names on there. Now mind you, a lot of them were older veterans. But like, if you wanted to be competitive year one, you could have put together like a, a fairly competitive roster with the people that were available in the expansion draft. Uh, and they just, I, I, there's some head scratchers, quite frankly, that made the team. And there's a lot of guys that was like, Eesh. like uh, Quenville from the Hawks, I guy like I'm like, eh. That's an interesting one. I haven't even seen them on the Blackhawks roster. So I think they're trying to maybe, you know, maybe they're trying to go cheap and young so they can build something sustainable. And a lot of people didn't think the Vegas Golden Knights and they had their expansion draft would be very good. But I will say this: out the people they drafted, now, mind you, I wasn't thinking they'd be as good as they were out the get-go making the Stanley Cup. But you had your Mark you Andre Fleury's um, and your, uh, you know, Marsha So's, who were like solid players. Um, uh, there was a couple guys, and they're like, "Yeah, okay, they could be a middle of the road team, maybe like an eight seed in the playoffs or something. You could at least be like, you know, they'd hover around five hundred, and be competitive. This cracking roster, looking at it, it's like, shush. Good luck, <laughs> good luck. Maybe they're trying to sign some free agents. That's the only thing I, I could hope for. But I would think, especially if you want to draw some buzz in Seattle, which I don't know how. I guess they tested the Seattle market viability, but you know, I don't know how popular hockey's gonna be up there. Uh, we'll see." But I think it would help a lot if the team was good. Like Vegas, I was surprised. I, th- I think it helped a lot that, you know, you had this new team, and they were really good off the get-go. So everyone kind of jumped on the bandwagon. It's like Vegas it's fun, and you got this great hockey team in there, too. So you're going to get a lot of people casually jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, this Kraken team, it stinks weird one. And it's the Seattle market where, you know, you got Russell Wilson and the Seahawks to compete with. Uh, yeah, good luck. Good luck. I mean, mind you, there's the Mariners there, too. But, you know, they're not they're all right i guess nothing too exciting there but yeah and it's like all right good luck i would have i would have gone a little few more veterans on there and tried and make a winning product year one but you know what they, they, they they're they, the gms for the reason and i'm sitting here talking about them um for a reason as well so there was some big news in the mlb this week And I'll tell it from my perspective there, because I actually have a connection to it. And so, uh, early this week, a friend for uh, fraternity, he's out, uh, he's doing an internship up in the uh, East Coast, Uh, and he he sent me a Snapchat, and he's like, "Hey, look where I'm at right now," and he's at the uh, these watching the Padres play the Nationals at the Nationals Park up there, and it was like, "Oh, (laughs) that's pretty cool." And he's not a huge baseball fan. It was like one of his first first baseball teams. Uh, games he, he's seeing, I was like, "Oh, dude, you're getting to see the Padres. That's sick. They got this guy Fernando Tatis Jr. He's one of the best players in the MLB. Like, watch him." It's like, "All right, cool, cool, cool." So you know he's having a good time. He's having a couple beers or whatever. And like, later throughout the night, they get, I get the like ESPN alerts, and it's like shots rang out. Like, everyone's like, the, "The shots rang out." In, in the, and they thought it was like in the stadium, which was <laughs> like, "Holy shit." Which, honestly, it is almost with the state of America right now, and I don't want to get too political on it, but, like, the state of America, it's almost gotten to the point where, like, it's become a normal thing with gun violence and these mass shootings. It's just, like, a monthly thing now, and then you sweep sweeping under the rug. Like, you probably couldn't, like, you know, it, it, it happens way, way too much than it should. It's almost been, like, normalized. I feel like most people forgot about this incident, but anyway, there's shots ringing out. Players are helping you know, they're getting their families into the dugout, and, you know, the, the way everyone helped each other was really kind of, um, that was inspiring to see, because there's a lot of these these players and coaches, like, hey, they just tell fans, come hide in the dugout, whatever, crouched down, turned out the shots were outside the stadium, um, so, and I think th- they said three people uh, were killed, but it wasn't inside the stadium, which was good, because that could have been bad with all those people in there, um, so I'm like, I see this, like, happen, and i like, snap, I'm like, oh, Curtis, are hey, you Curtis, you all right, you know? <laughs> and his big takeaway from this whole ordeal was, yeah, yeah, we're, we're fine. But you were right, that Fernando Tatis Jr., really, really good. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, Curtis, though. So, um, you know, I was glad he was all right, but I found that really funny. That's how good Fernando Tatis Jr. is in the midst of a potential mass shooting. That was the one thing he took away from the whole event. Was, yeah, this Tatis kid, he was fun to watch. He was really, really good. It's like, Jesus Christ. But, um, you know that's why sports are awesome. That's that's why sports because you have something horrific like that, and you know what, it's uh, uh, it serves as a distraction um, from everything. Um, and you know what, it lightened the mood a little bit. But uh, for the uh, victims outside the stadium, there, well, thoughts and prayers with their family. Oh Well, but I was glad it didn't. Uh, that could have been a lot worse than it was. Um, it's kind of a scary scene there, and that was yeah, <laughs> wild, wild. Um, just goes to show, you know. Don't think it could happen to you, and the next thing you know, one of your buddies is end up there. So, you know, that was kind of a that was kind of a wake up call. But I'm glad I'm glad everyone was all right tonight. <laughs> I got a, I got a kick out of that 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 whole thing. <laughs> it's like that was that was your takeaway. He's like, yeah, 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 I'm fine. But Fernando Tatis Jr. phenomenal player. So that was kind of cool. But um, yeah, and it's also in the baseball world. And you know, I hate talking White Sox every week, but you almost have to just because they're the hot new team in the mlb they keep winning games they're pretty fun doing it gavin sheets hit a walk up at a 5 run eighth inning the other day it's a fun team man um guaranteed Ray field too is getting electric if you haven't been there already especially late in the year now with this the way these guys are playing go to a Sox game that that stadium's getting electric it's a playoff feel already in july but um the yerminy Yerman mercedes who kind of took the league by storm early in April. He was, uh, you know, Eloy Jimenez went down with injury, so they had this third-string catcher who wasn't supposed to make the roster. Yerman Mercedes, he gets his start, and he runs with it, starts his career 8-for-8, eight eight, which made some history. He was batting well over 400 in the month of April. He won AL Rookie of the Month. He was better than Mike Trout for the first two months of the season. He was leading the league in average. He was tearing things up. And then all of a sudden, things kind of went back down to earth, had an over 25 slump. Obviously, the whole Tony Larusa incident with swinging on a 3-0 count, hitting a home run off a position player, and then he got scolded by the national media, so he was kind of in the center of attention there. Um, well, eventually, the White Sox sent him down. And they sent him down because, not only because of the slump, you know, because he, he had the over 25 slump, then he went on, and, which ended with a walk-off single. So everyone's like, oh, hit a walk-off, he's going to be back. And then he went into another slump, over 22. And they started starting to figure it out a little bit. His average was, was down to 250 after over 400. It went down to 250. He got it back up to 270. He was hitting pretty well. And then they're like, well, we're suffering too many injuries. Yermin really can't play anywhere else. We need some defensive flexibility to sent him down. And Rick Hahn's like, you know what? He'll probably be back. He'll probably be back. Some in AAA. He's tearing the cover off the ball. And then all of a sudden, yesterday, out of the blue, well, on Wednesday, I should say, um, there's this message he puts on Instagram? It's like, oh, El Retiro with the uh, thinking emoji, and it's like, oh, well, that's kind of odd. Then he comes out with this long, cryptic Instagram post after, like, later in the night, saying he's stepping away from baseball, and he was apologizing to the media and everything. And it was a strange kind of strange post. And I was connecting the dots. It's like, well, you know, Chuck Garfine, who works for NBC Sports Chicago, he had a podcast where he he, he made a comment like, yeah, you know, Yermin. Not everyone knows what's going on in the locker room uh, with him. Uh- you know, he's not like a saint. He got suspended earlier in the year for a game. Uh, not suspended, but benched a game because he showed a facility late. He's definitely a big personality. And he had some disappointment when he got sent down. Um, so, you know, he, he he was a long road to get to the major leagues. He got sent down. I can understand why he'd be disappointed and obviously big personality there. But I was like, huh, that's kind of odd. Like, who is he who is he apologizing to? He just said he quit baseball just like out of the blue. Tony Relusa was like, yeah, we're going to call him. And then apparently he wasn't talking to any of his family either. Was in the dark. No one knew where he was. Just kind of went off the grid. And the next thing you know, the next night he's in the back of the lineup. Who was like, "Hmm, this is puzzling." So apparently there was some digging going on. One of our guys I work with at Sports Mockery, uh, he, he sent this to me this morning, and it was, it was looking. And there's actually a song called "El Retiro," and the song lyrics, if you look at it was exactly the message you remember Mercedes posted. Minus he subbed out some people with like his agent uh, and whatnot. But um, other than that, it was basically the song lyrics for this song. And now he's back in the lineup tonight. So everyone's like, huh, what the hell? Was he trolling us? Did he think about it and he got talked out of it? Nobody knows. It's a mystery. Uh, but I'm glad he's back in the lineup. Now, uh, this is where I want to end with here. A lot of people were blaming Tony Larusa, And I have, you know, Tony Larusa. As much as I didn't like him and I ragged on him early in the year, and he deserved a lot of that. He deserved a lot of it. He made some mistakes you should not be making here as a Hall of Fame manager. The Ehrman thing was dumb. But if Ehrman actually retired, you, Tony LaRusso is not the reason. All right, you're a major league ball player you got to be able to handle a little bit of, uh, you know, you're going to go through some adversity. Was the thing handled poorly? Yes. But his slump, because everyone's was like, well, that sent him in the slump to begin with after that whole media firestorm. But it's like, well, the slump was actually happening well before that. And I love taking shots to Tony La Russa. I don't like him. But that remember Mercedes quitting was not on him. Not on him. And I'm actually warming up to the fact, La Russa, with what the Sox had to go through with all the injuries and everything, uh, has done a pretty good job. And uh, the bullpen's not very good for the White Sox right now. He's doing the best he can with that. But the, what, the, what he's done, he gets guys playing time and starts in there. Not a whole lot of guys will be able to weather the storm with this, with the, this group, with, what the, with the injuries they have lost. The, the star players, the impact players, the fact that they're not only surviving, they are thriving under his leadership really says something. So if everyone else is fine with him, and everyone else seemed to be good with him in the clubhouse, he seems pretty popular. Like you, you watched Gavin Sheets after he hit that walk-off home run. he have been in the clubhouse like two weeks. The big bear hug he gave Tony Larusa as he was walking into the dugout afterwards after he was being a mob at home. You would think it was like Brady and Belichick if they won their third Super Bowl. Maybe not even at the end of their career. Because okay, maybe a bad example, but yeah, you would think they're best friends. So no one else seemed to be having a problem with him. Jose Abreu was like, yeah, he's great. He's great. So I don't think that was the reason he quit. I think they had a better relationship than people realize. And if it was the reason he quit, then he wasn't cut out to be a Major League Baseball player. But I guess he didn't quit. He's back in the lineup tonight and in uniform. So that was a bizarre situation over there. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how things last. But uh, yeah, that was definitely, definitely an interesting situation. Football season's coming up. Looking forward to that. We're going to have a podcast coming up, uh, previewing the NFC Central. We'll be a Packers fan on the podcast. I bet you'll know who that is, Patrick Cushman. And a Vikings fan, too. Very passionate Vikings fan. Uh, he's been on the podcast before. We're going to have him back. And that should be a fun one. He hates the Packers, just like I do. Should be good, some good commentary there. Where's Rodgers going to go? That saga's coming down. Adam Schefter reported this week that it's not about the money. Because the Packers offered him a contract to make him the richest quarterback in the NFL and he turned it down now this offseason so it's it looks like it's beyond repair he's not coming back to the Packers this year <laughs> so they're riding it's gonna be uh, the Blake Bortles or Jordan Love showing boy if Jordan Love can't win the job over Blake Bortles in camp you know you drafted the wrong guy like you already I'm already pretty confident they drafted the wrong guy but if he can't beat out Blake Bortles after being a first-round pick and sitting behind Aaron Rodgers for a couple of years, then you are not the guy. Yeah, it's... Put up or shut up here. Put up or shut up. That's all we have for you. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week. going to go seven. It's going to come down to who can break this home surf. I'm leaning Milwaukee. With the momentum they have. You know, game 5 is always critical. Um, but... Yeah, it's going to come down to who breaks their home court advantage. Because I think whoever... You know, if... If the Suns win Game 5, the series isn't over. Um, they, but they're going to have to win. Game, they, they lose game six. And then I think Milwaukee wins game seven. I think Milwaukee is going to break them at any point. It's going to be game seven. So I got the Suns. Suns are going to win game five. I think Chris Paul has a bounce back game. Here's how I think the series is going down. And actually, there's a good chance they'll be listening to this before the next game because they have three days of rest in between each one. The next one's not till Friday. I got the Suns winning game five. Chris Paul has a bounce back game. Bucks will win game six back at home. That's the one the Suns must win. That's the Suns' game seven. Obviously, the Suns win the series is over. uh, But if they lose that game six, then I think Milwaukee's taking it in seven. So, uh, game six is going to be the deciding one. Whoever wins game six is winning the series. The Suns winning it, quite literally, they'll win the series because it'll be over, because they're going to win game five, I think. Uh, If Milwaukee wins, they're taking game seven. I will take their veterans over the Suns' young team, minus Chris Paul. Uh, That's a lot of pressure. Giannis really wants one. This is their best chance. Milwaukee doesn't win this year. I don't think they're getting back to the finals anytime soon. A lot of pressure for both of these teams. Time is now, but I think Milwaukee takes it seven. There's your prediction. That's Stormer Dispute Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your